Morning, everybody. Morning to everybody in this room, all those joining us online. Good to have you here today. Uh, middle schoolers headed up to their program upstairs. Let's give a round of applause for all of our middle schoolers. We're with you. Thank you for all our volunteers who serve our fifth through eighth grade crowd. And um, before we get into the message, I want to take a moment and pray for what our nation has set aside as a national holiday tomorrow. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is tomorrow. Many of you have the day off, unless our school systems do, many of the teachers, administrators as well, other entities in our country set aside this day to remember some history about our nation that I want to provide some theological context and pray into. You know, Martin Luther King's vision for our nation wasn't, it didn't begin with him. It started grounded in his relationship with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want to give you a verse to kind of anchor MLK Day. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 would be what I would say would be a good theological ground for what we're setting apart as a nation tomorrow and how we should pray for our country at a time like this. Here's what Ephesians 2, Paul says, For he himself, speaking of Christ, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So you see the imagery where Christ is set as our peace, and because we are in Christ, we have a ministry then to participate with him in removing the barriers and the dividing wall of hostility between peoples. And certainly as a nation, uh, no doubt these last couple years have brought an amplified attention to something that's been going on in our country for a very long time, that we, as the body of Christ, uh, should be leading the way in this ministry of Ephesians 2, 14 and following. So any of you who are a part of the Eagle family, you know that if you're here and you, you recognize that maybe you've got a, a history with your peoples and your culture and your background and your race, and you maybe don't look like a lot of the other folks in Whitestown, Indiana, we're, I think the latest stat is 98 plus percent of this local community uh, looks white and its origin. And so if you're not in that group, we want you to know you are welcome here and that this is a body of Christ where people from all backgrounds, it doesn't matter what your background, it doesn't matter the upbringing and the cultural context, you are welcome here. Not because we're Eagle Church, because we're Jesus Church. So Jesus Church is to welcome all peoples from all backgrounds and all settings all of the time. And so as a church, let's be committed as a people to lead the way and to pray for our country as we head into a day tomorrow where clearly our nation is needing prayers on many levels, and let's pray into this together. Jesus, uh, we just thank you for you being our peace, and you're the one who sets the bar and the example for removing the dividing wall of hostility and the barriers that need to come down between all kinds of people groups, not just in our own nation, but around the world. It's clear since humans have been on the planet, we've struggled to have the kind of unity and oneness that you've had a vision for. And that when you came and laid your life down, you made a way for people from all peoples to be reconciled and put as one. So we pray for that. We pray for our nation. We thank you for a man like Martin Luther King Jr. who gave his life for this message, that there would be a vision for our land, where we could be more one than we've yet to experience. We pray for that. We pray for a mighty outpouring of your spirit. We pray you would 
melt away the walls that divide and the hostilities that are in place. And we pray that you would get glory by mobilizing your people to lead the way in what true unity is to look like. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you may open up your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you didn't receive a note sheet on the way in, you're welcome to get up. And there's, they're on the tables in the back there. Um, we're in this series called Reawakening to Jesus. We're talking about not reawakening to prayer or reawakening to purpose, but reawaken to a person. This is to be a person-driven 40-day series where we are calling ourselves to be centered and focused and aligned, certainly through the discipline of prayer, encouraged by the numbers of you who are continuing to take time in our prayer room. If you haven't done that already, you can go to eaglechurch.com prayer. It's all things for these 40 days of prayer. So even if you're new this morning, you're just jumping in, you can just jump in with us. We're in this posture beginning 2022 all the way to early February in just this space of prayer, not being necessarily prayer-driven or even purpose-driven, but person-driven. When you're preoccupied with Jesus, the posture you learn to develop is a posture of prayer, and that's what we're doing during these 40 days. So we're talking, we talked a couple weeks ago about reawakening to Christ's glory, and last week Julia did a great job of reawakening to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and this morning we're talking about reawakening to the Holy Spirit in John 16. Now, to give context to this section we're looking at today, I want you to think about the kinds of conversations that you have at the bedside of a loved one whom you know you may be having your final conversation with. You recognize that their physical life is coming to an end, and you're having the dialogue that could, in fact, be the last dialogue. And some in this room have just been having those conversations even most recently. I think it's very poignant for you. But even even if you've not had that, I want you to imagine in that setting the kinds of topics and the nature of that conversation. You're not talking about the weather. You're not talking about the latest news headlines. You're not even talking about this time of year NFL playoff runs and that. You're not talking about those things. You're talking about the things that, at the end of the day, are going to matter more than anything else. There's a leveling of the ground that happens when you know you're having a final conversation. And that's what John 16 records. Jesus is with his group of disciples, and it's what's called the Last Supper. Here's a picture of an artist's rendering of the setting of John 16. In your Bibles, it's actually John 14 through 17 is where they're recorded in the Gospel of John. And it's very dense with Jesus' words. It's all red letters if you've got a red letter Bible because it's Jesus having one final dialogue, one final meal with his closest group of followers before what he knows is about to be his physical ending. He knows he's going to the cross. He's trying to prepare them for this. And so it's kind of a leveling the ground. It's the kind of conversation you have when you know you're going to have just this one final conversation. That's John 14 through 17 in your Bibles. And so right in the center of this, Jesus has a dialogue about the Holy Spirit that I think is really insightful and helpful for us today. Look at verse 7, John 16. He says to them, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Now, wait what? Right here, you got to say, wait what? 
If you're at that table listening to Jesus in that moment, would you amen that point? No. You do what kind of most of Zionsville church cultures like. It's crickets on the end of that, right? There's not a lot of amen. <laughs> you know, it's good that I go, what? I mean, it's been really, really good to have Jesus around physically. I mean, it'd be really, really hard to release that. But you see, like, Jesus now, hear this, he's trying to prepare them to release what is so they can embrace what will be. How many of you know that's a big part of the spiritual life, that when you're walking with Jesus, there's going to be time to release what is, because you're going to be embracing what will be, but you can't understand why he's asking you to release what is. Come on now. I know someone's living in that space in early 2022. Some of you have stepped into a new year, and the leading from Jesus by the Holy Spirit in your life is to loosen the grip and let go of what is or what's about to be what was past tense because Jesus is trying to lead you to something that will be but you're just in the you're with the disciples right here like Jesus say hey it's really it's really a good thing that I'm going to be going wait what it's kind of like what we covered a few months ago with Jesus and Peter in John chapter 13 when Jesus is having a conversation and he's washing the disciples' feet and Peter's struggling to understand why, and Jesus says to Peter in that environment, he says, you do not understand now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I don't know about you, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I live in the but later you will understand space. And I have said Many, many times, especially over these last two years, I do not understand now what you are doing, Lord. But I trust this. Later, you will understand. And maybe some of you have had that start to your 2022, and your prayer life, even in this 40 days, has been spent, Lord, I don't understand what you are doing. I want to give you some context with the disciples here in John 16. That's right where they were living. There's no possible way they could grasp and amen that it would be good for Jesus to go away. But hang on, look what he says. Unless I go away, the advocate, some of your Bibles say counselor, others say comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9, about sin, because people do not believe in me. And about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So one sentence uh, for the message today would be this. To be awakened by the Holy Spirit is to be consumed with Christ. That's what it means to be awakened by the Holy Spirit. You know when you're awakened or alive in the Holy Spirit when you're consumed with Christ. And so we want to unpack now, I want to look at the who and the what on this term that Jesus uses. Now, if you're the disciple sitting there, you're asking, who is this advocate? Who is this counselor? Who is this comforter? That it's so good that we have you around. Jesus is giving them a good to great. He said, it's as good as it's been to have me here now, it's going to be even better. It's going to be great when I exit because this advocate, this counselor, this comforter is going to come. Who is that advocate? And the Bible 
outlines it as the Holy Spirit. So in your notes, I put three kind of key elements answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? First, the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a knowledge, will, mind, affections. You can insult him. You can grieve him. The Holy Spirit is fully a person, which means then person equals develop relationship. The Holy Spirit is this, it's, the Holy Spirit isn't some um, force. He's not an it. The Holy Spirit has mind, will, emotions, capacity for relationship. Because He's a person, the call to us as people of Jesus is to develop a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. That we want to get to know Him. Which secondly, he's fully God. He's a person and he's fully God. Do you remember when Jesus, he's commissioning his followers, he's commissioning us, the great commission in Matthew 28, go into all the earth, right, and proclaim the gospel and preach and teach and obey. And he says, right, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All through the New Testament, you get this revelation. God the Father is fully God, God the Son is fully God, and God the Holy Spirit is fully God. And this is where the term Trinity is rooted in. It's tri-unity. God is three, tri, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And unity, one God. So our English language, there's not a, there's not a word in the Bible, Trinity, the English language came up with the term tri-unity to ca- try to capture how is God three distinct persons and yet one God. It's called the Trinity. And it's a conversation for another day, the implications of being in relationship with a Trinitarian God. The only religion on the face of the planet to make such a declaration is Christianity. Three in oneness. And if your mind is spinning around how in the world can we be three, how he could be three distinct persons and yet one God, that's where we in our finite minds lay down at the infinite reality of who God is. I'm not sure God fully wanted us to dissect and unpack how, but to stand in the glory and the spotlight of who he is and who he's revealed himself to be and the wonder and awe of three and oneness. So Holy Spirit is a person, which means we develop a relationship. He's fully God. He's not like the junior partner of the Trinity. It's not like God the Father is God, and then there's God the Son, of course he's God, and then like the Holy Spirit. Some of you are raised in traditions, Father, Son, and Holy Who. That's not, the Bible is Holy Spirit equally and fully God. And then thirdly, He lives, this is the key teaching Jesus in John 16, he lives inside of every follower of Jesus. This is an amazing declaration for this morning. Like, how is it that Jesus could live simultaneously inside of his people today in 190 nations? The Holy Spirit. How is Jesus present with his people today? The Holy Spirit. 
How is he preparing those disciples in John 16 when he physically exits? He's saying, it's really, I know it's going to be hard for you, but it's really going to be great when I exit because then I'm going to be able to be spiritually present simultaneously with my people. How? The Holy Spirit. Like there's this, and for them, it would be very difficult for them to grasp how Jesus In that day and age, Jesus could only be in Jerusalem or Bethlehem at one time. He couldn't be simultaneously in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem at the same time. He had to be one spot through his physical body and his physical being. And it was a good thing that he was physically around and physically present. They held tightly to him. But when he exits physically, he can then send his Holy Spirit to be simultaneously present today, 190 nations, approximately 2 billion people. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew 28, when he commissioned them with a great commission, he said, I'll be with you always. How? How is he saying, I'll be with you always? The Holy Spirit. How is Jesus with us right here, Whitestown, Indiana, 2022, in this local gathering, Holy Spirit? Colossians 1.27 says, the glorious riches of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is Christ in you? We use these, like Hunter was referring to, we have these kind of vague phrases, like what do they mean? How does Christ live in you? The Holy Spirit. That's how he's present with his people, the old English pastor Samuel Chadwick, I put this quote in your notes. He said, Christianity is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. So the who of the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, Jesus saying, this is a good to great moment. As good as it's been to have me around with you, it's going to be great when I exit because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, who is a person who's fully God, who is going to inhabit, the theologians call this the indwelling presence of Christ. How? Holy Spirit. How does Christ dwell in our hearts? Holy Spirit. This is the who, this is the declaration, and there's this reawakening step that Jesus is calling those early disciples to, and I believe calling us today to reawaken to the role and the person and the wonder of the Holy Spirit. It is a good to great moment, church. And so we want to spend the rest of our time, look, we unpack like who he is, And now I want to talk about what does he do? What's his role here? Which is what he gets into here in John 16. Did you notice when I read through it in verse 8, he kind of unpacks three key areas under the uh, the banner of prove. He will prove. Did you see that in verse 8? Other translations say convict. The word prove in your New Testament, it means elenco. Elenco is the translation. It means to convince with solid, compelling evidence. So one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is an elenco work. It's to, it's to convince with compelling evidence. That's like a work the Holy Spirit does. And it reminded me of a time when I was growing up when my parents, my dad in particular, had an elenco moment with me as the oldest son. Because my brother and I, we were typically involved with mischief, like most young boys are at different points. And my dad had just completed a project at our house where he had drywalled our garage, and he was really proud of it. He did a good job. It looked clean. It looked finished. 
He was super happy with it. And then he went off to work, and that's the same garage that my brother and I enjoyed spraying down with water because we wanted to race our big wheels and our bicycles in the slick garage floor. That's kind of our drill. Was we had one of those garages that was built downhill in our driveway so we could pick up speed going down into the garage, and then we'd slide. It was really cool. We had like a track, and we had neighborhood races, and so... It didn't occur to us that perhaps dad's nicely finished drywall might be affected by our little plan. So we had sprayed the garage down, we had the neighbor kids over, and I got on my green machine. Kids, do you know what a green machine is? Students, you know what a green machine is? Here's a green machine. That's a green, that's like big wheel on steroids, right? That's a green machine. I had the green machine, which was a fast, and we had other kids on bicycle. We were racing, and I got the green machine down into the wet garage floor, and I got a little out of control, and the green machine, see that big front tire on the green machine? That thing went full impact into my dad's brand new drywall, boom, and just lodged there. It ended the races that day. Let me just say, we... It's like, uh-oh. So I was the oldest son, which meant my younger brother would say, well, what are we going to do about that, Eric? So I looked around the garage, and there was this really nice pile of boxes and stuff, my dad, and I just took the pile of boxes, and I went, shh. I said, this is... Right? Got the broom, sweeped up the water, straightened up, right? And time for my dad to come home later from work. Pulls in the garage. He wasn't home very long when I heard him say, Eric Scott and Brad Allen, to the garage, please. Now, anytime your parents use your middle names, right, it's over. It's... So, Eric Scott, Brad Allen, to the garage we go. And my dad is standing in the garage. And he's standing where the boxes used to be. And he has my green machine. And he slid the boxes away from the wall. He has my green machine's front tire. He has it in one hand this way. And he says, boys, do you have any commentary on this? And he places the green machine front tire exactly fit into the hole in the wall. I said, well, you better ask Brad about that. That moment for me, as a son, was an elenco moment from father to son. It was convinced with compelling evidence, okay? It was a conviction that said, clearly, this is, <laughs> there's no getting around this. Yes, I did this. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's to take different circumstances and with compelling evidence, specifically, as I put in your notes, the first thing, it's compelling us to respond to Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Like, the role of the Spirit in our life is to keep pressing the reality of Jesus upon us, to get us off the fence about Jesus, to get us away from neutral ground, like the Spirit won't let you stay neutral about Jesus. And some of you, that explains what's going on in your life right now. Some of you are maybe more recent to church or more recent to this journey of faith. 
a friend invited you or you just took the turn of a calendar year to say, hey, it's time to step into some new thing. That's great. Do you know what you're beginning to understand? A relationship with the elenco work of the Spirit that's pressing your heart and your mind and your soul to look at the reality of Jesus and respond. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what unpacks in 9 to 11, do you see? It's convicting in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you see that? In regard to sin, the work of the Spirit convicts us as we're, we're guilty. There's no one that's free from that. We've all messed up. We've all had our green wheel, big machine in the wall moments of life. In regard to righteousness, we're helpless. We can't meet God's standard on our own. And in regard to judgment, there's a lot that hangs in the balance called eternity. It hangs in the balance. The Spirit keeps pressing this upon us. It won't let us stay neutral, specifically about the question who you say Jesus is. And maybe you say, well, I believe in Jesus. You know you believe in Jesus. When you believe in something, you act as if it were so. It's not just cognitive assent to something. When you believe in something, you act as if it were so. You believed the blue chair that you came and are sitting in now. You believed that chair would hold you up if you sat upon it. So you sat down with very little anxiety that the chair wouldn't hold you. You believe it, so you acted as if it were so. Like you can, here's the interesting, you can believe fully and passionately, but you can believe wrong. And what you run into when you believe something that is not so, what you run into there is called reality. So, for example, you can go to a grocery store and you can have $8 in your pocket and you have $10 worth of items, but you're convinced that you believe your $8 is going to cover the $10 worth of items at the checkout. That's fine. You can believe that. If I were to run into you in aisle 14, you could say, hey, I've got my $8, and I look at your two items, and it's two $5 items. It's 10 bucks. You're short. No, but you can believe your $8 is going to cover it. Here's what you're going to run into at the checkout counter at Meijer. Reality. Reality when the clerk says to you, that'll be $10, please. You're like, no, I have eight. That'll be $10, please. So here's the thing. This Holy Spirit works toward with Jesus' reality on us this way. That he, he keeps pressing this reality that Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem in a stable to a virgin Mary. He grew and at the age of 33, he was under a public trial where they issued an order to execute him in a public crucifixion. He was killed. He was laid in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was sealed with the seal of Pontius Pilate for Rome. And then three days later, that Jesus of Nazareth rolled the stone away and walked out of the grave. That is reality. That You don't have to be a Christian to believe in that. That's just historical fact. That's just historical narrative of what's occurred. And the role, do you see the grace and the goodness of the Holy Spirit to keep pressing this upon you? To live as if that isn't true and that didn't occur. It's like taking eight bucks to the counter at Meyer with a $10 bill. $10 items. It doesn't work. You're living against the grain of reality. What you run into then is reality. And the Spirit keeps pressing, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Do you see him? 
You can't stay neutral about him. You can't push him away and ignore him. And that's why for some of you, the stirring up on the inside of your life, every time you try to run, you find yourself boxed in by Jesus again. You go, what's that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit just keeps boxing you. Turn you here. Turn here. You keep trying to stiff arm and run and ignore and hide. And the Spirit just keeps coming. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at this compelling evidence about who he is and what he's done. Do you see the grace, church, and the work of the Holy Spirit to pursue us in a Elenco way? It's amazing. And to encourage some of you who've been maybe praying for a prodigal son or daughter, prodigal brother or sister, prodigal mom or dad, someone who's just way off in a distant country and you think they're just so far away just to keep praying. Who you pray? You pray to the Holy Spirit. You pray the Holy Spirit just keeps pursuing and pressing the reality of who Jesus is on their hearts and compelling them to respond. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit, compels us to respond to Jesus. And then verse 12 and 13, he says, I have more to say to you. More than you can now bear. Can you imagine being that group sitting there? It's like, Jesus, you're unloading plenty right now. And he's like, yeah, I've got even more. But when he comes, speaking of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. So from that I wrote, he helps us understand spiritual reality. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed how much confusion there is in our culture today about what is truth? Like, I'm going to give you the truth about, and then you've got some latest TikToker or YouTuber or media personality or whatever claiming to have a truth on some corner of some market about, it's so confusing today to believe, what is the truth? We've got whole segments of our media culture devoted to just verify what is the truth. I mean, it's crazy. And here's what we can rest in as a follower of Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us into what is true. Light from darkness, good from evil, evil, truth from lies, wisdom from foolishness. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And you can rest in that on a super practical level. This is why it's important as you open up God's word to pray to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, open my, open my mind, open the eyes of my heart to understand your word. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And I want to commend so many of you. Today is day 365 for our reading through the Bible this year. 200 plus or so we started out last January. And I don't know, I didn't track everybody who finished. It doesn't matter, but I'm just so proud of so many of you. Many, many of you finished all 365 days this year. And one of the works the Holy Spirit has done, immersion from Genesis to Revelation, is this. Just guiding you into truth. Confirming in your heart what is truth. This is who I am. This is what life really looks like. This is how you raise kids. This is how you handle your money. This is how you build a marriage. All of that stuff, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And you can rest in that and lean into that. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. Many of you say, well, that verse just jumped off the page at me. Do you know that's like Christian language for a work of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is bringing something from the written word to your heart, to your mind, to your soul for that moment, that day, that circumstance. And for many of you this year, I think you would testify. It was really cool to watch all year long posting verses that stood out in the comment section and 
to see how that overlapped with maybe something that God had put on your heart or something you specifically needed that day. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He helps us understand spiritual reality. And I think we can rest in that. There's a lot going on in this book. It's not the easiest book to understand, but with the Holy Spirit's help, it's possible. It's possible to begin to grow and to say, this is who Jesus is. This is what it means to live life with him. It's a work of the Spirit. He compels us to respond to Jesus, and then he helps open our mind and our heart to understand spiritual reality. That's why he says the Spirit of truth will guide you. There's this guiding work of the Spirit. And then lastly, this morning, I want you to look at verse 14 and 15. Jesus says this. He will, speaking of the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. (laughs) Now you see why they put him on a cross that way? No one says these things. Only Jesus of Nazareth would say these things. Clearly claiming deity, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So there's this third work of the Spirit. It just keeps turning our attention repeatedly to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work, he's just always turning the eyes of our heart to gaze upon the glory, splendor, and majesty of who Jesus is. That's what the Holy Spirit's always doing. And I put in your notes the word glory. It's the word doxa in the Greek. It means a resplendent beauty, a magnificence that has a weight to it. Like the doxa of Jesus displaces things, it moves things, it reorders things. And that's what the Spirit does. It just keeps bringing us back to look at the complete otherness of who Jesus is. There's just no one like him. And the Spirit just keeps drawing our attention to it and opening the eyes of our heart to it and say, look at Jesus, turn the eyes of your heart toward him. The spotlight of the Spirit shines on one person and one person alone, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, Son of Man. That's who He is. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit. He's fully God. He's a person. He lives inside every believer. That's who the advocate is. That's who the comforter is. And then what does the Spirit do? He compels us to respond. He won't let us stay on the fence with this issue. He just keeps persistently pursuing our hearts to respond to Jesus. And He keeps and he helps us turn, helps us understand reality, spiritual reality. He opens our minds to understand who God is and what's revealed here in his word. And then he turns our attention repeatedly to the doxa, the, blue, the beauty, the magnificence that has a weight to it of who Jesus is. And that displaces, that moves some stuff in our hearts. Because to be awakened by the Spirit is to be consumed with Christ. That's your marker for the year. How do you know you're awakened by the Holy Spirit that you can't get enough of Jesus? That you're hungry for Him. You want to live with Him and in Him and for Him and through Him. That Jesus is not just your one thing. He is your everything. When that's going on in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit awakening inside of you. So worship team, why don't you come on back up. We've got one final story here to close us with, kind of bridge us into a couple of worship songs in response Here's a picture of E. Stanley Jones. You may not know who he is, well-known missionary to India. Ted Batson reminded me this morning, he, he's a graduate of Asbury Seminary, just like Ted, a big Asbury fan there, and he said he's an Asbury guy. 
guess a missionary to India for over 50 years, traveled the world preaching the gospel, amazing ministry, amazing legacy. But when he was 83 years old, he suffered a debilitating stroke. And near the end of his life, he was barely able to function, but he got pen and paper, and these are some of the final words that he wrote. I put these in your notes. There are scars on my faith, but underneath those scars, there are no doubts. Christ has me with the consent of all my being and with the cooperation of all my life. The song I sing is a lit song, not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when middle and old age sets in with their disillusionment and cynicism. Now hear this. No, I'm 83, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian than I was at 18 when I first put my feet upon the way. Church, that's a man who's been awakened by the Holy Spirit and therefore consumed with Christ, not just at 18, not just at 38, not just at 58, but at 83. could say there's a song in his heart that's a lit song, that he's more eager, that he's more hungry that he's got more passion and exuberance for Christ at 83 when his physical body is deteriorating through a debilitating stroke. He could pen words like that. The explanation for that is the Holy Spirit. There's an awakening that can happen. Not just reserved for E. Stanley Jones, but Jesus would say, hey, as good as it's been that I've been physically present, it's going to be even better. It's going to be great when I physically exit because I can be spiritually present present by the advocate, the comforter, the counselor, he will come to you. And so as we sing these songs, um, I want you to think about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if it's been a while since you've had a conversation with the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to maybe start that dialogue this morning. And even use the lyrics of these songs to help craft what you might pray as the Spirit of the living God fall afresh on me again. Awaken me. Change me. Open my eyes to see. Commission my will to your service. Open my heart to your love. Do your work. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Because to be awake by the Spirit is to be consumed with Christ. Let's pray. Jesus... Thank you that you love us enough to preserve a final conversation that speaks so clearly to 2022. Pour out your spirit, I pray, on our hearts. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. You see where each one is. You see exactly what we're dealing with. Spirit of a living God, come. Have your way.